0: This program is a gathering place for anybody who feels like uh, they just want to step away from the groupthink and revel in wrongthink just to assert their own autonomy. And that's kind of a necessary thing in our time because uh, right now, at least in the U.S., politics has become a contest of who gets to impose their will on the rest of the country. I don't know about you, but I don't like being imposed upon. I don't mean to impose on other people, but I don't want to be dictated to either. So if you are a person who yearns to breathe free, to stand on your own, my friend, you are in the right place. This program is brought to you by great sponsors. Each day that I do the show, I want to give a quick shout out here to HSLMO.com, Ammo.com, Monticello College.org, LifesavingFood.com, and GarageDoorProServices.com. I'll be telling you a little bit more about each of these folks coming up. You know, the uh, the more I read J.B. Shirk's writing, the more... I like this guy. And it's, it's not just because, well, I, he agrees with me on everything. There are some places where we differ, but I'll tell you what I like is he has a very solid grasp on reality, and he is definitely a champion of freedom and liberty. In fact, he has a wonderful essay on how the woke inquisitors have come for the free-thinking heretics. That would be you and me. At least I hope that's, that's us. And I hope that uh, we're not shying away from the idea that, uh, you know, labels sometimes scare people. I know they used to scare me. Oh, don't call me that because I might turn into it. But if somebody accuses you of being a free thinker, or for that matter, a wrong thinker, that's a huge compliment. And, and you should probably take it as such. So here's what J.B. Shirk has to say about the woke inquisitors coming for the free thinking heretics. He says that uh, once governments, uh, come for free speech once they normalize censorship and the punishment of points of view free expression is firmly stamped with an expiration date and whenever censorship censorship rather slithers back into polite society it's always draped in the mantle of good intentions 15th century Dominican friar Girolamo Sabanarola's Bonfire of the Vanities destroyed anything that could be seen to invite or reflect sin. So the notorious uh, 1933 Nazi book burning in Berlin torched some 20,000 books deemed subversive or un German. And of course, during communist China's decade-long cultural revolution in the 60s and 70s, the vast majority of China's traditional scrolls, literature, and religious antiquities went up in smoke. Now, all three of these atrocities were celebrated as achievements for the greater good of society. Much like today's new censors who claim to fight hate because that's not who we are, the arsonists of the past saw themselves as moral paragons too they purged anything they considered obscene or traditional or old so that theocracy or nazism or communism could take root and grow now there will one day be as much there will one day be much disagreement as to how the same western civilization that produced the enlightenment and its hallowed regard for free expression could once again surrender itself to the petty tyranny of censorship And Shirk says the answer is that the West has fallen into the same trap that always catches unsuspecting citizens by surprise. The steady encroachment on free speech has been sold as a virtue that all good people should applaud. First, certain thoughts became aggravating factors that turned traditional crimes into new hate crimes deserving of additional punishment. Then the definition of what is hateful grew until politicians could comfortably decree anything at odds with their agenda to be examples of hate. Who would be for hate, after all? Surely no one of good sense or good manners. Now, hate has transformed into an elusive description for any speech that can be alleged to cause the slightest of harms. From there, it was easy for the state to decree that disinformation, or rather anything that can be seen to contradict the state's own official narratives well, that causes harm too. Those who despise free speech told society, if you do not punish hate, well, then you're a bigot. And today, if you oppose the government's COVID-19, climate change, immigration, or other contentious policies, your harmful disinformation must be punished too. He points out on a plaque in the square where the Nazis burned books is a commemorative engraving that says, that was only a prelude. Where they burn books, they will in the end also burn people. That warning comes with no expiration date. So the point that J.B. Shirk is making here is that attacks on free speech are on the rise. He gives a couple of examples here. A British college recently expelled a student for expressing support of the government's official policy of deporting illegal immigrants. A Wisconsin school district charged three middle schoolers with sexual harassment last month for refusing to use the plural pronoun they when referring to a single classmate. U.S. President Joe Biden's national climate advisor, Gina McCarthy, recently encouraged social media companies to censor from their online platforms any opinions that contradict Biden's climate change narrative. And in its continued commitment to preserve the government's monopoly over COVID-19 information, Twitter actually suspended a medical doctor for merely sharing a scientific study that suggests the Pfizer vaccine affects male fertility. And, of course, the NFL Washington Commanders fined defensive coordinator Jack Del Rio $100,000 and forced him to apologize only weeks ago for having expressed his opinion that the 2020 summer of riots across the U.S. after George Floyd's death was more destructive than the few hours of mayhem at the Capitol on January 6th of 2021. I mean, how dare he notice such a thing? Now, J.B. Shirk says, in contrast it's become noteworthy that entertainment powerhouse Paramount <clears throat> has chosen not to censor old movies and television sh- television shows containing content that today's woke scolds might find offensive. In a cancel culture world where censorship and trigger warnings have become the norm, preserving the artistic integrity of a film is now considered outright daring. In fact, even publishers of old li- literary, literary, let's try that again, literary classics have begun rewriting content to conform with politically correct sensibilities. Now, examples such as these, where personal speech is either censored or punished, are becoming much more frequent, and anybody who minimizes the threat of this increased intolerance for free expression poses to a a democratic society is either gullibly or willfully blind. He says, As any defender of liberty knows, nothing more quickly transforms a free society into a totalitarian prison than crackdowns on speech. And of all the tools of coercion available to a government, preventing individuals from freely expressing their, th- expressing their thoughts is the most dangerous. Denying citizens the most basic societal release valve for pent-up anger and disagreement only heightens the risk for outright violence... Down the line, so either silent citizens become so enraged that conflict becomes inevitable, or the iron fist of government force descends on the public more broadly to preemptively curtail that possibility. Either way, the result is a disaster for any free society. So, for Americans who cherish free speech, this undeniable war on language and expression is jolting but not shocking. Whenever censorship slithers back into polite society, it's always draped in good intentions. Now, one day there's going to be much disagreement as to how the same Western civilization that produced the Enlightenment and its hallowed regard for free expression could once again surrender itself to the petty tyranny of censorship. And I guess this is our call to make sure that we are speaking up, we are finding our voice and using it even if it seems scary to do so. I particularly like that he points out how hate has transformed from an elusive description for any speech that can be alleged to cause the slightest of harms. And you'll notice that uh, the groups that, that tend to seek power over other people, some of those groups within government, many of them out of government, always, always will play the victim card. Probably the best example of this that I can think of, at least uh, in, in uh, you know, very recent memory, is uh, the FBI director getting up the other day and talking about how criticism of his agents creates a dangerous climate in which people might go out there and do harm. Yeah, never mind, you know, that uh, your agent, agents are behaving in a rogue fashion. They're operating outside of the laws. They're operating outside of, of what government should rightly be doing. But yeah, hey, if somebody says something about that, why, boy, they must be wishing harm on every FBI agent. And look, we got to put a fence up around the building and we've got to, you know, sit here and cry crocodile tears about how picked on we are and how dangerous our job is. Yeah, I'll, I'll care a little bit more about your concerns, Director Ray, when you start to show concern about uh, what uh, kind of dirty things your agency has done to the American people. And I know there are good people within that agency. I want to I make that clear, but the agency itself, I think, has reached a stage of corruptibility that the good people are going to face a, a decision at some point. They're going to have to ask themselves the question, hey, how long can I be a good person and support an agency that does evil things? I can't answer that question for them, but I hope it's something they ask themselves sooner than later. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. I would like to thank Garage Door Pros for being a sponsor of this program. This is a company that should be of great interest to my listeners in St. George, Cedar City, Mesquite, Nevada, Colorado City, Arizona. If you have a garage door, be it a commercial or residential garage door, you're building, and for that matter, looking for a garage door, maybe an insulated door to help, uh, you know, cut down on heating and cooling costs. These are the folks you want to talk to. GaragedoorProservices.com is their website. Their number is 435-525-2773. Look, these, these are the folks who go the extra mile. They take care of their customers. Quick response, much faster lead time than other companies can give you. That's Garage door Pros. Or you can check them out at garage proservices.com. Well, can I lift your spirits for a change, right? I've got all the bad news. Yep, it's sitting right here. It's, it's going to be waiting. But sometimes we need a reminder of the better examples of uh, what great people look like, what goodness looks like in the people around us. It's very happy to find this story. Um, Andrea Woodberg shares the story of six young men, that will make you feel better about America. She says, we news junkies are deeply concerned about cultural shifts and education, political wrangling, and more, and we're right to be disturbed. It's the people who pay attention to that shift, who pay attention, rather, that shift the culture for better or for worse. But she says, occasionally, though, you need to remind yourself that there are 330 million people in America, many of whom are just getting through their day, trying to be good people who do the right thing. Now, in the case of six high school football players, that means leaping into action to rescue a woman in a crumpled car that seemed on the verge of bursting into flames. Louis Goya is a math teacher at Rome High School in Georgia, and a few days ago, he posted on Facebook about the instinctive heroics of six members of the high school football team. This is what he said. He said, this morning, I witnessed something amazing that our Rome High School football players did. While I was standing in front of the school during my morning duty, I heard a loud noise at the intersection that appeared to be a wreck. While I was running to the intersection, I noticed that two cars were involved. There was a 50-year-old lady trapped in her car and couldn't get out. Smoke started to come out of the car and fluid started to spill everywhere in the intersection. The door was jammed and in terrible shape, and while I was on the phone with the 911 dispatcher, The football players who witnessed the wreck ran to the car and started helping the lady. They literally started using their strength to pry the door open so the lady could be released. After a few seconds of pulling and pushing the door, the boys ended up opening it and helped get her out of the car. Now, she was still shaking and in panic, but our Rome High School boys gave her comfort and were able to help her. The Rome High School football players really showed up today. They went above and beyond to help this lady without hesitation and they share a, they share the story here the young men, Caesar Parker, Trayvon Adams Antoine Carey Messiah Daniels, Tyson Brown and Alto Moore who without thinking about their own safety sprang into action to help another person now with an interview with the USA Today Trayvon Adams who was 16 and was driving the four boys to school explained what the boys did and how quickly they reacted He said, it was right in front of me. I turned off the car and jumped out and said, hey, look, let's go help her. The woman was leaning over into the passenger seat, begging for help. She had blood on her face and was screaming. Immediately, he said, Alto and Tyson ran to the passenger door and tried to pull it off. The vehicle was smoking. The fluids were leaking. I could tell it was about to catch fire had the police not got there quickly, which they did. Now, in the past, Tyson said he considered becoming a firefighter after graduation. He says, I'm not very good with blood but I'm a helpful person to which Andrea Woodberg says helpful and brave. Now there's currently a lot in America that rightly worries us, including a generation of children who seem to be adrift with their moral compass coming from the internet and too often from some very disturbed teachers. But she says, I really like the idea that uh, the occasional reminder actually that America is still raising up truly good people. And by the way, there is a link, there's a link to the video within this uh, story that you can actually see from the, uh, I guess it's traffic cam footage of the wreck and these high school football players responding. Now, this may seem like kind of a small thing. Okay, I get it. If somebody says, uh, Brian, you're grasping here. Yeah, big deal. Anybody would have helped her. But is that true? Because there's a phenomenon, and I guess it's called what, bystander effect. Bystander effect where people sit there and they'll see something horrible happening in front of them, but everybody assumes, well, somebody's more qualified than I am to to go and help with this. And so they look around and they wait for that more qualified person. Who is it? Who's going to step forward? Who has, you know, CPR training? Who has first aid training? Who is trained as a firefighter or a a rescue worker? My point is, there are often times where people just don't want to step up because they're, they're sure somebody knows more of what they're doing than I do. So it takes courage to step up, even trained responders, you know, have to evaluate and decide on what's the right course of action. So this is normal. But the people who find the courage to make their feet start to move, the people who are willing to to jump into action, and, and particularly, this is the part that gets me, the ones who do it without thinking for a moment about, uh, well, you know, what's in it for me? What, uh, what kind of recognition am I going to get? Is there a reward perchance, you know? It's the people who just selflessly do what needs to be done. That's the kind of stuff that just restores my faith in humanity. In fact, I, I remember an example here from just a couple of years ago. Maybe you remember seeing the video of this. A young child on a ski lift had slipped out of the seat and was hanging from a strap or something, just barely hanging on from this uh, this chairlift uh, high above the ground. I think this was in, uh, I'm trying to remember if this was in Canada or if this was in the U.S. But uh, there was a group of high school boys that uh, that were skiing and, and were close by, saw this kid hanging from the chairlift, and I mean, it was high enough that uh, a fall was definitely not going to uh, feel good. Frozen ground below and... You know, fairly high in the air. So what they did was they grabbed a big section of uh, that flexible snow fence. If you know what I'm talking about, it's like plastic. Uh, Anyway, they grabbed it and uh, took a a section of it and essentially created a a blanket of sorts. And sure enough, the child fell right into, you know, this, this section of snow fence, this flexible fencing that they had. And they caught the child, no harm done. It was just brilliant thinking on their part to step up and do something. But again, the key here <clears throat> that is so admirable is they didn't wait for someone to tell them, okay, you can act, or for permission you know, from someone in authority. To me, that's the essence of the problem solver. And it can apply to more than life-threatening situations. Sometimes it's simply a matter of you know a, a mob is is getting themselves worked up over something, and someone needs to step up and say, "Hey, this isn't right." That's when it really takes courage, by the way, to be that person who's willing to stand up against the crowd, and maybe be the boy the voice of reason. But that's the kind of leadership that we need right now. Sometimes, as we're going to talk about here in in the next couple of upcoming segments. Sometimes the kind of leadership that's required is not something where you have to go out there and boldly, you know, face danger, stare death in the eye, you know, to to accomplish what you're doing. But it's it's the courage to simply do the right thing, even though the right thing seems mundane or otherwise, you know, not, uh, not that noteworthy. And I'm talking about stuff like simply refining your character and being the best person that you can be. I... I know that the the toughest battles that are fought usually are fought in private. So we don't know much about them. We don't uh, we don't really know the the difficulty or the the courage that it takes for a person to get up and keep moving, you know, after they've stumbled and fallen. But that's the kind of thing we should be focusing on. That's a truly revolutionary act to do that. I know. That's the weirdness of the times that we live in. What you're saying to to be a good person is a revolutionary thing? It is. And it's also undeniably one of the things you can do to help other people see the difference between, uh, you know, right and wrong, light and darkness, truth and error. But it's not easy. Did I, did I make it out like it was easy? Because it really isn't. That's what makes it heroic. This is the Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. And we are back. Quick shout-out here for lifesavingfood.com. Yep, that would be food storage, emergency preparedness. There's actually a ton of stuff that goes in here. If you're just thinking, well, number 10 cans filled with, you know, dehydrated or freeze-dried foods, yeah, you could reduce it to that, but there's so much more. I mean, there's ways to purify your water, ways to start fires, you know, under under any conditions. You know, and just uh, just some great common sense stuff. How are you going to have light? How are you going to cook in a grid-down situation? It's not about uh, necessarily, uh, we're ready for the apocalypse, but just being prepared for whatever may be coming. And sometimes we just don't know. Again, that's lifesavingfood.com. So I want to build on what I was talking about in the last segment, and, and I want to ask you this question. Are you serious about making a bold stand for freedom? I think most of us feel like, well, yes, I would be, you know, if the need ever arose. Well, okay, I'm going to tell you the need is here. It's it's here today, and people really do need to step up. But I hope you realize one of the most revolutionary things you can do in the cause of freedom starts with what you do in your home. Got a great article here from Jeff Minnick from intellectualtakeout.org. It's titled, The Counter-Repudiation That's On The Way. And I want you to hear some of the suggestions. He's got 10 suggestions of truly revolutionary things that you and I can do to push back against the the decline that is taking place all around us. Jeff Minnick says, philosopher, writer, and teacher, Roger Scruton, labeled our age the culture of repudiation in his 1998 book, An Intelligent Person's Guide to Modern Culture. Now, he says, though I'm oversimplifying here, his basic premise was that academics and other influential writers and thinkers had given up defending, much less advancing, Western thought and culture. Many, in fact, had spent years attacking the art, history, faith, and principles of Judeo-Christian civilization. As Scruton noted a decade later, this culture of repudiation has transmitted itself through the media and the schools across the spiritual terrain of Western civilization leaving behind it a sense of emptiness and defeat, a sense that nothing is left to believe in or endorse save only the freedom to believe. And a belief in the freedom to believe is neither a belief nor a freedom. It encourages hesitation in the place of conviction and timidity in the place of choice. Well, Jeff says, Now another decade has passed and the repudiation gang is in full swing, a uh, wrecking ball smashing everything from the family to statues, from rationality to religion. The ball swings 24-7, pushing critical race theory, gender-bending teenagers, advocating full-term abortions, changing the meaning of words like male and female and recession, and spending billions of dollars on projects that line the pockets of those who support them. Yet he says resistance and hope, so often born as scraggly weeds keep breaking through the concrete slab being poured on our culture. Around the country, colleges old and new, schools like Christendom or Hillsdale or the recently founded University of Austin stand by Western values. Outfits like the Federalist, American Thinker, and Intellectual Takeout saddle up and ride into battle every day against the craziness that grips our country by the throat. Enlisting in this pushback against those seeking the ruin of liberty and tradition is pretty simple. So he says, here are 10 of my suggestions, some of which I'd mentioned in earlier articles. I'm confident others can add to or even improve this list. Now check out some of the things that he suggests here. These are revolutionary things, but these are things you and I could do. Number one, live in the truth. Truth alone does not prevail. Heda Kovaly writes in Under a Cruel Star. That's her memoir of life in Czechoslovakia under the Nazis. First under the Nazis and then under communism, actually. Heda Kovaly says, when it clashes with power, truth often loses. It prevails only when people are strong enough to defend it. And Jeff Minnick says, against today's cancel culture, we must hold fast to what we know in our bones to be the truth. His next recommendation is to seek truth. Cavalli tells us it is not hard for a totalitarian regime to keep people ignorant. Once you relinquish your freedom for the sake of understood necessity, you cede your claim to the truth. Now, Jeff Minnick says the propaganda campaign of the pandemic brought far too questions and all too many Americans marching in lockstep. We relinquished liberties for understood necessity. Let's not repeat that mistake. Next, he says vote. Now, this one's a no brainer. Maybe, but you'll still hear some critics say a vote for lesser evil is still evil. Maybe so, but he says that's the nature of politics. I'll leave it to you to decide how much emphasis to put on politics. I don't know that a person should totally divorce themselves from it, but I know for, for myself, when, when politics becomes simply a game to control or to punish the other side, it may be time to step back and look for other ways to focus our attention and our energy. Okay, that's not the same as, you know, just throw your hands in the air. That's just saying, is this really providing the effect that it could be providing? Next, he recommends form alliances. This one's probably more important than we think. He says, let's ally ourselves, ally ourselves with uh, like minded family and friends because it's easier to stand together than alone. Now, I know we all have a bad habit of tending to keep to ourselves, right? I don't want to impose on other people. I don't want to disturb my neighbors. I don't want to disturb my family. Maybe it's time we start doing that. And we, we don't need to have, you know, deep, dark discussions all the time. Just find ways to stand and support each other in simple things. It doesn't have to be something major, but it just needs to be something genuine, That shows, look, I care for you, and I'm willing to help look out for you. You know, perhaps you'd like to do the same for me. I like this next one. Cling to faith. Seek out and practice a faith or a philosophy that gives moral guidance in living and that repudiates the nihilism of our culture. Next, he recommends follow after virtue. Live by the cardinal virtues of courage, prudence, justice, and temperance, and the theological virtues of faith, hope, and charity. Jeff Minnick says doing so is wholesome, it's good for you, and can even provide some entertainment. As Mark Twain once said to a group of young people, always do right. This will gratify some people and astonish the rest. (laughs) Then he talks about the fortress of home. Make your home, however humble, a castle of civilization. A fortress where when you close the front door, you shut out trouble and feel comfort and safety. By the way, Something that uh, can, can breach that fortress. I don't mean to nag anybody, but um, pay close attention to what you're letting into your fortress via your television, because it could very much be undermining all the other good work that you're doing if uh, you leave that uh, particular entryway open for bad influences and bad ideas to make their way into your household. I also like this next, select, this next suggestion, rather, and I think this is one of the simplest, most overlooked options that we have, and that is make time for meals. Make the evening meal a time for gathering with friends and family. Talk about the day's events, what happened at the office or the school. These conversations are not insignificant, but these are the ties that bind us to our loved ones. That one, for some reason, really strikes home to me because it sure feels like more and more we all eat. At different times it's very very rare that we sit down together at the, the same table much less actually have conversation next he recommends teach your children teach the kids about history and culture this road is wide open with read-alouds and books on tape movies museums concerts visits to national parks and reminiscences of grandparents preservation begins at home and I think one of the most powerful and overlooked things that, that is within our grasp as well is connecting our family, connecting our kids and, and ourselves with those who came before us. Now, I'm very fortunate. My son, David, I don't know what it is about David, but he has a love of knowing the stories of family members who came before us. He's, just, he's kind of become the de facto family historian. And you mention an ancestor's name, and David can tell you, well, this is what that person did, this is where they came from, and this is part of their story. He actively studies this stuff. And it's hard to describe if it's not something you've tried before. You know, people, oh, family history, wow, their eyes glaze right over. But there's something very curious that happens when you better understand how you got to where you are. The people who paved the way for where you and I are standing right now. All right, last suggestion here. Have fun. Have some fun along the way. Nothing drives the grim-hearted politicos crazier than seeing the rest of us laughing and enjoying ourselves. Revel in the small pleasures. He says this is important because these are the things, the delighted shouts of a little one on a swing set, stars over the ocean, even that cup of coffee in the morning. These are the things worth fighting for. Jeff Minnick says, now let the counter-repudiation begin. I think he's right, too, by the way, about the the people who take things, oh, so serious. You know, I'm reminded of floating the middle fork of the Salmon River a few years ago. And, you know, here's all these brave river guides bringing their people who are paying big money, you know, for them to guide them down the river. Oh, look at them, brave and strong, rowing their way through. Why, surely we'd die without their help. And then here comes a raft full of Boy Scouts, not even steering. They're just kind of, you know, end over end, swirling down the river, having a water fight and having fun kind of takes the prestige away from those brave noble river guides no offense intended guys this is the brian hyde show this is the brian hyde show and we are back A quick shout-out here for HSLAmmo.com. Ammunition is a great store of value. I just want to throw that out there. It's also a great way to convert money into skill, as in skill-at-arms. And you cannot do better than the new and remanufactured ammunition created by hslammo.com. Please click on the link I provide in my show notes. Please consider doing business with them. And if you get the chance as you're out and about in southern Utah to bump into Spencer Worthington, who is the founder and president of HSL Ammo, make sure you tell him, hey, Brian is saying all kinds of good things about you. By the way, here's my money. I'd like some ammo, please. All right. Thank you so much. So a couple stories here to kind of wrap things up. Um, This one is from Dr. Robert Malone. And this is a very lengthy one, but wow, is it worth your time. It's called Administrative State Bad Training Makes for Bad Decisions. Subtitle, Forming, Storming, Norming, and Performing Consensus Drives Towards Groupthink. Now, he really does a great job of explaining where we are in the COVID crisis, where we are in terms of of what's happening to our, our government's but he also talks about the process by which this consensus is manufactured. And uh, i, I got to tell you, I've, I've got great respect for Dr. Malone just because he has actually stuck his neck out there. He has suffered for speaking up. And to me, that is one of the real tests of whether you're dealing with someone who is uh, a legitimate truth teller. In other words, if they're just doing it for the accolades, if they're just doing it so you know, oh yes, that's the I'll hold for applause here, you know, and there's no risk to them for saying what they're saying, you know, that's one thing. But when someone is putting information out there and they are being uh, ruthlessly smeared or censored or otherwise attacked for doing so, I tend to give a little more willingness to 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 hear what they have to say and to examine what they're saying simply because. They have skin in the game. Typically, they have skin in the game that their critics don't. Sorry, critics, but uh, that gives them an undeniable credibility edge that you don't have simply because uh, you're not willing to suffer for your beliefs. So you may want to check this out from Dr. Malone. Uh, wonderful definition of groupthink. He says, groupthink is a psychological phenomenon that occurs within a group of people in which the desire for harmony or conformity in the group results in an irrational or dysfunctional decision-making outcome. Cohesiveness or the desire for cohesiveness in a group may produce a tendency among its members to agree at all costs. And he talks about uh, the the stages of group development, the forming, storming, norming, performing model of group development development. Some great charts here. Phases of team development. What this is talking about, though, is how to manufacture consensus. And again, this is a very detailed article. You're not going to uh, you're not going to to find you know this knocked out in five minutes. Okay, so reading it over your lunch hour, maybe. I'd give yourself some time though to digest it. He does have nine action items for avoiding groupthink and that this is just really worthwhile. He points out how the stages of group development are not a great model for good decision-making. In fact, it's a disaster. But it does make the job of the human resource officer much easier. Anyway, you'll find a link to this in my show notes at the Brian Hyde show.com. Now, I also wanted to share with you uh, something from James Howard Kunstler. I've heard a lot of different takes on the FBI's raid on Trump's uh, Florida home, But I haven't heard one quite like this. This is called a different sort of warrant. James Howard Kunstler says, Former President Trump is not without resources and recourse. And he says it should be pretty obvious that the FBI raid on Mar-a-Lago was an attempt to seize evidence likely to be used in former President Donald Trump's civil lawsuit in the Southern Florida Federal District Court against Hillary Clinton and associated defendants in and out of government for the defamation and racketeering operation known as Russiagate, and in any future criminal proceedings that might grow out of congressional investigations to come against officials past and present in the DOJ and FBI. So the idea is to tie up all of those documents in a legal dispute about declassification so they can't be entered in any proceeding. So over the weekend, independent journalist Paul Sperry reported that many of the same FBI officers involved in the Mar-a-Lago raid Happen to be subjects of special counsel John Durham's investigation into the origins of Russiagate. Now, have some of them already been hauled into grand juries? We don't know. But with the Mar-a-Lago caper, he says it looks like the law enforcement apparatus of the federal government is seeking to suppress evidence of its own long-running criminal enterprise. The parallel purpose of the raid was to find, or perhaps plant, documents that might be used in a scheme to disqualify Mr. Trump from running for office again. The January 6th show trial in Congress failed to galvanize the country's attention and may have foundered in its attempt to find grounds for a criminal referral against the former president that would take him off the playing field. So now this momentous legal quarrels that arise out of the Mar-a-Lago raid may evolve into a constitutional crisis that the captive news media can use as a smokescreen to divert the public's attention from any balloting shenanigans going into the November election. At least it will shove any other issues off stage in the run-up to the midterm. But he asks, is it a miscalculation? The choice of going to Federal Magistrate Bruce Reinhart for the Mar-a-Lago warrant sure looks crude and desperate. Only weeks ago, he was presiding over the Trump v. Clinton lawsuit. How did that even happen, given Mr. Reinhart's role defending Jeffrey Epstein's associates, many of them Clinton-connected, in the 2007 sex trafficking case? And only after the spectacularly weird act of switching sides from the federal prosecution team to Epstein's defense team. Not to mention Mr. Reinhart's record of public statements denouncing Mr. Trump. There are 25 other magistrates who rotate their duties in the Southern District of Florida. Why pick him? It all shapes up as a systematic effort to obstruct justice by the U.S. Department of Justice. And James Howard Kunstler says they've been doing it consistently since 2016 in all matters pertaining to Mr. Trump. And it's a big reason why the country is now viciously coming apart. This is just a continuation of the same seditious treacher- treachery that went on with James Comey releasing his classified interview memo concerning Mr. Trump to the New York Times via his attorney friend from Columbia University, Daniel Daniel Richmond, and the ensuing dishonest Mueller investigation the leak provoked and the crossfire hurricane operation run by Peter Strzok, Andrew McCabe, and Rod Rosenstein, and the illegal entrapment and prosecution of National Security Advisor Michael Flynn, and the serial misrepresentations to the FISA court, and the illegal coordinated maneuvers in the impeachment number one between Representative Adam Schiff, ICIG Michael Atkinson, the National Security Council, and CIA agent Eric Ciaramella posing as a whistleblower. And more recently, the mischief around the FBI's conjured up Gretchen Whitmer kidnapping scheme and the FBI's role in turning the January 6, 2020 election protests into a riot at the U.S. Capitol. Former President Trump is not without resources and recourse in all of this, says James Howard Kunstler. Though the news media doesn't follow it, the Trump v. Clinton lawsuit trial continues, and it might not go so well for Mrs. Clinton and her friends. Criticism and doubts about special counsel John Durham aside for a moment realize that evidence introduced during the March trial of DNC lawyer Michael Sussman has firmly established that the Hillary Clinton campaign, the DNC, the Perkins Coy law firm and various private contractors created the Russian collusion narrative that evolved into the FBI DOJ crimes of Russiagate. It won't be difficult to prove these parties' intentions in all that. Namely, to drive Mr. Trump from office or disable him in the process. Do you think Mr. Trump can't make a case against his antagonists? This is not being tried in a pliant D.C. federal district court. A Florida jury may see exactly what happened. Let's also suppose that Mr. Trump and his aides were pretty scrupulous about collecting documentary evidence about these shenanigans over the years they took place. Mr. Trump did indeed order the declassification and de-redaction of reams of pertaining documents before leaving office. Do you suppose the Supreme Court would not adjudicate any quarrels over them with dispatch? The effrontery and the gross stupidity of Attorney General Merrick Garland stands in luridly full display. In signing off on the Mar-a-Lago raid warrant, Mr. Garland signed the death warrant on his own reputation and career. And there's a Trump from back... uh, tweet, rather, from Trump back in 2020 that says, I have fully authorized total declassification of any and all documents pertaining to the single greatest political crime in American history, the Russia hoax. Likewise, the Hillary Clinton email scandal. No redactions. And there's a, this is an answer to a tweet by Paul Sperry, which says, when all the documents are finally declassified and the redactions removed from reports... The nation will see that the FBI and CIA not only knew that the Russia collusion allegations against Trump were a dirty political trick, but they were in on the trick. Well, that's definitely an angle I had not considered before. And I don't know that this solves anything, but it's definitely making it more interesting to watch. This is The Brian Hyde Show.